Well, amen. You guys can grab a seat. And if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, my name is Tanner Brack, and I'm the student pastor here at Gospel City Church. And super excited that you're here this morning. Our lead pastor, Mark, he's on vacation, so he wanted us to let you know he didn't just skip last week. He's on vacation, and he's still on vacation today, but he's coming back sometime this week. And so. I get to, to teach and open up God's word for us this morning, so I'm super excited uh, because I'm typically used to talking to a bunch of teenagers who will, are, can be distracting. Most of them are great, so all the ones in this room are fantastic, but I've had some moments where I've learned how to teach through some distractions that um, you wouldn't understand of like ketchup being squirted on clothes, like real story, that type of stuff. But, but I'm excited this morning because like Caleb mentioned, we're opening up, uh, or we're looking at a story called Daniel in the Lion's Den. It's one of the more popular stories that if you've grown up in church, or maybe even if you haven't been around church very much, you've probably heard about Daniel and the Lion's Den. And this morning we're going to look at it, and I hope that what we're going to see is it actually has more to do with our lives than we might expect initially. And I don't mean that, that means we should go to the Fort Worth Zoo and climb into the Lion's Den and test out whether we can survive or not. But but the story has some things for us today that we can pull and apply to our lives. Um, and just a little bit of context of where we're going to be in Daniel. And if you want to turn to Daniel chapter 6, feel free to go ahead and do so. It's one of those books that the table of contents is your best friend, where it's kind of on the back end of the Old Testament. It's like Psalms, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Um, but the table of contents, your best friend, it's going to be behind us. But Daniel comes after what we talked about last week, where Thomas talked through Jeremiah 29 and how the nation of Israel is told that you're about to be entered into this season where it's going to look like I've abandoned you, where nations are going to conquer over you. You are no longer going to be just living in Jerusalem as one nation. You're going to be spread out, made exiles among secular cultures and new nations that don't believe in God and don't follow me, but my challenge for you in Jeremiah 29 is to pray for the city and to seek the welfare of the city. And the story of Daniel, the book of Daniel, takes place in this season where the nation of Israel is exiled, taken from Jerusalem and spread among Babylon so that, like, in living, trying to figure out how do we live for God, faithfully worshiping, worshiping him alone in the midst of an unbelieving secular culture. Like that's what takes place. And it, it feels a little bit like us because we don't live in this, cult, in this nation that is fully worshiping God. But Daniel was written to the exiles of Israel to, for two primary purposes. One was to encourage the exiles that even though it doesn't look like God's in control, he is sovereign over all nations, over all people, all kings and all kingdoms, that God is in control. And then secondly, to encourage the nation of Israel, the exiles, and us today, that it is possible to live faithful lives in the midst of this new culture. So we're jumping in the middle of the book of Daniel in Daniel chapter 6. And what's kind of happened up to this point is that Daniel, who wrote the book, the first part of the book really covers stories about Daniel and three of his friends, who you might know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it follows these stories where they're trying to figure out how to follow God faithfully in exile because they've been pulled from their home. They're taken to a new city. And because they were of in the heritage or descendants of King David, their royal had a royal heritage, they are, and they have an education, they're brought to serve the king of Babylon. And then 
Several kings die, and right before Daniel chapter 6, the king is killed because the, Persia, the Persians overtake Babylon. And so Daniel is in this story right at the beginning of chapter 6, learning how to follow, or he, he's, he's in this story where the Persians are taking over and setting rule over the nation. And so in the beginning of the story, Daniel's a young man, like probably a teenager, maybe in the early 20s. But in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel's likely in his 70s or his 80s. So he's been living in this secular culture, a new culture, waiting on God to save Israel for a long time. And so that's where we find ourselves in Daniel chapter 6. And we're going to read verses 1 through 24 and then pull some things out of it. So Daniel 6, 1 through 24 says this. And it pleased Darius, who's the king of Persia who just took over, to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over those satraps, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the kings might not suffer loss. Now Daniel was so distinguished, now Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, May King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except for you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue this decree and put it into writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now, now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened towards Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and he prayed, giving thanks to his God, just as he had done before. These men, then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So, when they went, so they went to the king and spoke to him about the, his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days, anyone who prays to any god or human being except you, your majesty, would be thrown into the lion's den? And the king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. Then they said to the king, Daniel who is one of the exiles of Judah, pays no attention to you, your majesty, or to the decree that you put into writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to King Darius and said, remember, your majesty, that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, And they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, who you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without entertainment being brought to him. 
and he could not sleep. And at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, son of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? And Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. And the king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And at the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. So these weren't just playful lions. Like they actually destroyed the people like that. So the story kind of ends kind of crazy. But, but as we look at this story, like it leaves us with a couple of things. As Daniel is living in this secular culture that does not worship God, that is actively trying to keep him from doing so. And what was his key to faithfulness? The key to Daniel's faithfulness was prayer. That Daniel like, was anchored in the midst of a secular culture by praying to God. And it leaves us with a, a question. Like, what is prayer? And then what we're going to do is we're going to look at three distinctives of Daniel's prayer that he models for us that we can learn from. And so just a basic definition of what is prayer. Like, and this feels like one of those things where, well, we're in church, like, don't we all know what prayer is? But I think sometimes it's good for us to pause and like think about what actually definitions or terms are that we talk about in our faith. And so what is prayer? Prayer is communication and communion with God. And when I say communion, I'm not talking about like the Lord's Supper that we take. I'm talking about communion as in like spending time with God, communing with God. Like prayer, it seems so simple, but it's just communication and spending time in the presence of God. There's a pastor in Portland, Oregon named Tyler Staten who wrote a book called Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools, and it talks about prayer. And he says, prayer is about presence before it's about anything else. So sometimes we can overcomplicate prayer, but ultimately prayer is about just the presence of God, of us sitting with the God of heaven and talking to him. And we can feel this pressure of like, man, I've got to say the right words. I've got to have the right posture. I've got to get right before God before I can come to him. Or maybe we can come to him like Santa Claus and present a list of things that we want to happen. And when those things don't happen, we're like, Okay, prayer's pointless. So we can have these two things where like prayer can be intimidating or this mysterious thing, or it can feel like this pointless thing. But hear me this morning, like, but prayer's just about being in the presence of God, that we have the privilege and the honor of being able to come before God and talk to him and spend time with him. In John 15, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Remain in me for apart from me, you can do nothing. So what Jesus is getting at in John 15 is we have to stay connected to the source of life. We have to stay in the presence of God. We've got to stay with Jesus, spending time with him, so that way we can remain with him. And one of the primary ways we stay connected to God is through prayer. Like, we've probably all had a ton of watermelon um, this, this summer. Like, it's a great summer snack, but how does a watermelon grow? It has to stay connected to the vine that gives it nutrients and gives it life. And so Jesus is the vine that we stay connected to, and we stay connected to Jesus through prayer, by communicating with him, talking to him, listening to him, and communing, spending time in his presence. 
that prayer, spending time in God's presence is just sitting with him. It's praising him and, and honoring him by declaring how great and good he is, which reminds us of who he is. Prayer is also like sharing life struggles with him. God, I'm anxious, I'm stressed, I'm struggling. And then we receive, like we're reminded that God is near to us and comforts us that we confess our sin to God and then we receive his love and grace. Like sin is just being with God, talking to him and sitting in his presence. Prayer is presence with God, just enjoying relationship with him. And Daniel saw that and that was how he stayed faithful because he stayed connected to his God. And so Daniel prays three times a day and we see several things that he models in his prayers. And they seem really, really simple and really, really obvious. And you're like, okay, Tanner, like, what are you teaching us? But I think that part of like what we can pull out is that sometimes it's just the simple things that make massive differences in our faith. We think things have to be groundbreaking or mind-blowing. But in reality, if we just look to the simple things in our faith, that's going to pay off huge as we try to pursue God. And so the first way that Daniel models prayer is that he prays consistently. Like in verse 10, we see the habits that Daniel has, that for three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed. And before that, like it talks about the room that Daniel prayed in, that Daniel had a place and he had a rhythm of praying and spending time with God. Like before any of this story happens, before people are trying to like find fault in him, trying to get him either to stop praying to God or to be thrown into a lion's den so that way he's not promoted, Daniel has a consistent rhythm of praying to God. Like it's part of his routine. That's how his schedule starts. It's not that he schedules things and then finds time to pray. Daniel's prayer is the most essential thing in his life. So Daniel's prayer was consistent. Like it was even known as part of his character. Like think about it. Like Daniel's enemies knew that he prayed. And so when they couldn't find any dirt on him, they knew that one thing was true about Daniel, that he prayed three times a day. And so they used that as the thing that they tried to catch him for when his character and his behavior wouldn't be something they could use to keep him from getting the promotion. Daniel had a, had a consistent discipline of prayer. It didn't just happen when trouble came. And so, like, how rare is it for us to slow down and to actually spend time with God? Like, think about it. Like, I wonder how differently our lives would look if we were to slow down each day and just to spend time with God, remembering who God is and then remembering who we are in light of him. Like it's been said by a bunch of pastors or authors, most recently by a pastor named John Mark Comer, that hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life in our day. That hurry, like rushing to the next thing, that distracting our minds, hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual lives. And so we are so busy and so distracted that we don't have time to think about God. And yet there's something special that happens within us when we create space in our schedules, when we slow down, And we give that space to God to speak into our lives, to listen and hear from him. And that's what prayer is. It's creating space, slowing down, and listening to the God who loves us. And I think that this this habit of spending time with God is what fueled Daniel to live above reproach. Like these men are trying to stop Daniel from getting this promotion because they're jealous and they want it and they don't like him and whatever the case may be. But Daniel He was like, when they looked to try to find something that they could fault Daniel for, they could find nothing. 
In verse four, when the officials were looking, they could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy. No, like, and it said like he wasn't negligent or corrupt. Like they could find nothing in in him. Like Daniel didn't speak poorly about others behind their back. He didn't talk bad about the king. Daniel didn't lie. Daniel didn't steal. He didn't take a little extra money off of the things he was in charge of. Like Daniel didn't treat people less than him. Daniel's actions matched his words. He was the same person in public as he was private. Like Daniel was trustworthy. He was distinguished and he was above reproach. Like the only complaint they could come up with him, come up with against him was his commitment to following God. And it was through staying connected to God, slowing down, spending time praying with God, reading the scriptures, that Daniel could be immersed within a secular world and not be corrupted. Think about this. Daniel worked in government. Like not just one nation, like Daniel worked in two governments. He worked for the Babylons and he worked for the Persians. Daniel was at the top of the government and yet they could find no corruption within him. Like that's mind-blowing for, it's mind-blowing for me. Um, And I think it's mind-blowing to us in the story, but like Daniel was in government. Like he was more immersed in secular culture than you and I are. Like he was surrounded by people who power and money were the most important things. Like Daniel, like it could have been so easy for him to slowly drift towards like complacency in his faith or to drift towards like pursuing power rather than caring for people. It could have been so easy for Daniel to slowly drift towards corruption over the many years that he served. But Daniel was faithful to God because he had a habit of daily abiding with God. Like Daniel first got it, started serving the king as a 20-year-old. Now he's 70 or 80, and it's through this consistent prayer life that Daniel was faithful. And I just need to be honest for a second. Like I'm up here preaching on prayer, and I'm a pastor. I don't have prayer figured out. Like I struggle praying and not letting my mind drift towards, oh, I forgot to reply to that person two days ago. Let me reply to that. Or thinking about the things I need to do later, like, or drifting away like my thoughts are struggle like I struggle keeping my thoughts focused on God and just sitting with him rather than thinking about everything else that I need to do like prayer can be hard and it can be new or it can be intimidating for us but I I mentioned that like that I don't have it figured out because even though we're talking about like prayer being consistent in Daniel's life and the other things we'll draw out like prayer doesn't have to be as complicated as we make it out to be And if prayer is intimidating or like you're sitting here feeling overwhelmed like I am, then my simple encouragement for us is we learn to pray by praying. Like we don't have to figure out this formula, just pray. And we'll learn how to pray. That Pray as you can. Whether you don't know much, whether you feel like you know too much, whether you're just trying to figure out, whether you are struggling in your relationship with God, whether you're angry at him, just pray. Pray as you can consistently whatever that looks like, just pray as you can. Like Daniel's consistent prayer life paid dividends in his faith. And so we just have to try and learn and pray as we can whenever we can. So Daniel's consistent, Daniel was consistent in prayer. And the second thing that we can see is that Daniel prayed in faith. Like notice in verse 10, like now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room and he prayed. 
Like Daniel isn't hoodwinked. He's not tricked. Daniel's probably in the room when this law is signed. Like Daniel knows what was happening. Like, and he knows that praying to God means he's gonna be thrown into the, into the lion's den. Like guaranteed death. Like I mentioned, these weren't just like kittens. Like we have a cat in our house and I have scratches on my arm just from that cat waking me up. Like literally last night I was trying to sleep. My arm got a, went off of the bed and I got scratched by our cat because it wanted to play. Like Daniel's not hoodwinked. These are lions that are going to kill him. He knows the law and he knows the penalty. Daniel prayed in faith, like knowing what was going to happen. Like think about all the rationalizations he could have made. Like the decree, the law was only for 30 days. Like it's okay, God will understand that it's just 30 days. Like I can do far more for him while I'm alive rather than when I'm dead. Like, or like maybe I just won't pray three times a day. I'll just get up in the middle of the night or maybe get up early in the morning so that way nobody knows or nobody can see me. Like, but Daniel rejects these rationalizations. He knew what was gonna happen. And yet Daniel still prays. Like he prays in faith, believing and trusting that God would come through for him. Like rather than trying to control the situation by running to King Darius, who obviously cared for him since he was distressed, like rather than run to him and try to convince him not to sign the law or by changing his routine, Daniel prays in faith that God could do something bigger than he could imagine. Like he trusts in God above everything. Like that's a different kind of faith than my prayers. Because most of my prayers involved asking probably one of three things. God, would you keep me safe? Would you help my life stay comfortable? Or would you do this for me? But that's not what Daniel's prayer life looked like. Like he does pray asking for help, but ultimately Daniel's prayer is in faith, knowing that God is bigger than anything that could happen. Like Daniel, his prayer was dangerous, full of faith. My prayers are safe because my life is safe. But Daniel is able to pray in faith in a dangerous situation because his life has this habit of depending on God. Like that's how we pray in in faith is by we pray depending on God to do what only God can do. And Daniel's life has been a habit of this. That in Daniel 1, when Daniel's pulled out of his home nation and exiled into Babylon, he and his friends are tried, like basically the, the Babylons try to convince them to abandon the Jewish law and to follow the, the ways of their culture. And Daniel's like, nope, I've got to honor my God. And they could have been killed for that. In Daniel 3, like three of his friends, like Daniel's not actually in the story, but Daniel, like his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in a similar situation that Daniel is right here, where the, the king says, you must bow down to this golden idol and whoever doesn't is going to be thrown into this fiery furnace and killed. And so they say in Daniel 3.17, if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Verse 18, but even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of, a, of, the, of gold which you have set up. And I'm sure you can imagine what happened. They, were, they said no very blatantly. The king got really, really angry and heated the furnace up seven times its normal heat and threw the three men into the fire. And the fire was so hot that even the guards who threw Shadrach, Meshach, Meshach and Abednego, hard words uh, or names, but uh, they're thrown in the fiery furnace and the guards that threw them in, they died. And yet Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego are unharmed. 
that they come out of the furnace with no burns, with no wounds, nothing. And so Daniel has, this, has seen God come through over and over and over in his life by living in ways that require faith, not just by trusting what he can see. I mean, that's what fuels Daniel to pray in, this, pray in faith in this moment. It's because he's seen God come through in ways that only God could do. And so his, our faith is strengthened by God's faithfulness. So because God had been faithful for Daniel in the past, in him living boldly by faith, Daniel was able to pray in faith in this moment, knowing what was going to happen. Daniel's prayer of faith means that he, could, he trusted God completely. He trusted God more than him, himself. He trusted God more than the king. He trusted God more than his situation. He trusted God more than anything else. Daniel has this deep faith in God and he prays like it. And then the third model of Daniel's prayer that we see is that Daniel prayed to God alone. And like, I'm sure some of you are like, okay, like, duh, like, why he prays to God alone? Like, that, that seems obvious. But I think this is really important and a really important distinction for us because prayer isn't inherently or exclusively Christian. Like, prayer is something that most religions have some form of. Like, even in this story, like, they're trying to change prayer from praying to the living God to praying to a king. Like, they, like their trap is to, you can only pray to this king, this human, this person. But prayer has no power unless we pray to the God of the Bible. Unless we pray to the living, true, one and only God, prayer has no power. And so Daniel knows that. Because if we pray to someone or something other than God, it's no longer Christian. And honestly, there can be negative impacts of... I mean, that's, that's what happens when you pray to someone other than God. As things get distorted, reality gets changed. Evil spirits of the earth can, can take over us. Like Daniel prays, you like that, right? See, that's, that's working with students. Um, just kidding. But, but Daniel prays to God alone because he alone has authority over all things. Like Daniel prays to God alone because he alone has all things. In verse 10, Daniel got down on his knees, giving thanks to his God. And they knew it was to his God. It was the God of Israel, the God that we worship this morning, the God of the Bible that we've been reading all throughout Genesis and Exodus and throughout the Bible this year. Like if Daniel prayed to the king or another little G God, he'd be declaring that that person or God has authority over all things or is the highest being there is. The power of our prayer is not necessarily in the act of praying alone. It's in who we are praying to. That we pray to the triune God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The God who is all-knowing and all-wise. The God who is omnipresent, meaning he's everywhere at once because he's a spirit. That we pray to the God who is all-powerful. We pray to the God who is kind and compassionate, slow slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We pray to the God who spoke and with his words, this whole earth was created. We pray to the God who, like we sang as kids, he's got the whole world in his hands. And I still don't think that's a big enough picture of how big God is because God has no limits. He has no ends. He has no need to sleep. And that's who the God we pray to. We pray to the God who commands the sun to rise and to set. He tells the ocean how far it can come. This is the God found in the Bible. And this is the God we pray to because this is the God who is living and alive. And 
think about it. This God wants us to sit in his presence. Like he gives us this gift of prayer to talk to him and to listen to him. He wants to be with us. Like, to, like we have access to God like a kid does to their parents. Or we can wake him up in the middle of the night. We can wake him up in the morning, except he's better than us where he's not gonna get angry or frustrated or like go back to bed. Like we have access to God and Daniel prays to God knowing that he alone is God and he alone can save. And what can be tricky about reading this story is that it can look like Daniel is the hero of the story, but Daniel is not the hero of the story. God is the hero of the story. Because we can look at this story and we can see Daniel, he was faithful to God in the midst of a secular culture. Daniel was faithful and he prayed three times a day. Daniel stood up to men who were trying to keep him from practicing faith and God. Like we can see Daniel like doing all of these things, but Daniel is not the hero. God is the, is the hero of the story because it is only God who can save. God's the one who saves Daniel. Daniel doesn't save himself. The king even tried to save Daniel. He tried with all of his might, doing everything from, from the moment that they reminded him of the decree and said, hey, you've got to follow through with it. He did not stop. He, he tried to rescue Daniel and made every effort. And then because the king couldn't do it, the king couldn't sleep. And at the first light of the day, the king being so distressed because he was powerless, ran to check on Daniel. And he asks Daniel, has your God the living God whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Yes. Like not only is he able to rescue, but he did. He did rescue Daniel from the lions. And our God is a God who saves us. Like he saves Daniel from the lions then. And the response of the king from verse 25 to the end of the chapter six is this. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God. He endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. Remember, that's a king that just destroyed another kingdom and took over. That this God, this living God, his dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Like the king at the beginning of the story who didn't even follow the God of Israel, who is happy to make people pray to him. He leaves worshiping God because of what God did for Daniel. So this morning, may we too worship God. May we not walk out of these doors thinking, I've got to muster up strength to be better. May we not think that I've got to be like Daniel. No, may we worship God and see who he is and then choose to sit with him because of who he is. Like that's the point of this morning, that we have a God who saves. Like he saves men from a fire that should burn them up. He saves Daniel from the lion's den, but we have a God who saves us from sin and death. That's the whole core and the whole foundation of our faith, that God saved us from sin and death, that we were on our way to the grave, just like Daniel. We had no hope. There was no way to save ourselves. And yet God entered, entered, entered into the story and he saved us because only he could save us. That Jesus came to earth, lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserved and made us alive in Christ because Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. We have life. So let's worship him. 
Like that's the response of these stories of seeing that God saves us. We worship him. We make much of his name and we see the beautiful gift it is to spend time in prayer talking to this God who saves us and who cares for us. Like we have a God who wants us to just sit in his presence as children. So this morning, like I'm, I'm gonna pray for us and then we're gonna sing. So maybe we make much of this God who saves Daniel, but saves us from even greater things than lions, our sin and our death, because our God is a God who saves. So pray with me.